0: That's Space Cave, I'm David Hunsberger, a big warg to all of you. And if you're looking to add some stand-up into your lives, um, I'll be doing some shows. Live, in a room, human energy, connectivity. Yes! A little shout-out to our guy Brody Stevens. If you want to check it out, DavidHuntsberger.com. I'll be in a bunch of cities. Austin and Portland, San Francisco, Sacramento, Minneapolis, potentially Denver, maybe a few more. Uh, and if you have suggestions or recommendations or... Uh, anything like that, uh, shoot me an email and I'll see if I can add a show there. I'm glad you're back for part two. That means you enjoyed part one of this chat, which I thoroughly enjoyed. If you've seen my special One-Headed Beast, you know they're a little subtle, if not not so subtle, tips of the cap to um, Mystery Science Theater. I loved it growing up. For me, it was a different period where you know, you didn't really have the guide on TV. You just had to scroll around and then you'd see something, like you'd just look at the frames and be like, this seems like something I could get into. And for me, seeing the silhouettes of Crow, Gumball Machine, and a, and a human really grabbed me. Like, this is just so different. I didn't know what it was. And to now be having a conversation with the original voice of Tom Servo. He's also written for a bunch of other fantastic things. And it's just a genuinely delightful pleasant wonderful human being to be around i'm really grateful that he took some time to come by and share some uh hazy ipa from sierra nevada and chat here's part two with Jay elvis weinstein the um our ears are are nice and dried out now yes not that they, not that they were like they
1: that. weren't moist but they were heated
0: they were a little yeah you got these cans on there you gotta breathe them out a little and um, still enjoying this hazy little thing IPA. it's very nice cool graphic design I feel like on the can. I was oh when you were talking about like art and how we decide what gets kept around or what goes away or that's where I think maybe people get upset at the masses for glomming on because they want it so desperately to be you know, the Beatles were probably 60% of the people that genuinely felt something in their hearts. And then 10 or 20% who are like, I like this, but I'm going along with my friend because they love it so much. Right. So I'm here, and I'm jumping around and I'm singing along. And then the remaining percentage that were just people that are like, it's just fun to be involved in something that people like this much. Right. So I'm jumping around and yelling and tearing my hair out. But as far as the music, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it impacts me that much. I just like that we have someone to come out of a castle and wave at us right. and we can look up there and oh, they, I think they saw me. I, I just feel like that's such a human thing. Our primate brain, maybe that's it. We're like, we were talking earlier about like being a part of a group and how we feel like we're missing out on it. Oh, I'm not in that group. Oh, look, those, that boat looks so
1: fun. But I find myself, I mean, my personally, I hate being in a group once I'm there. <laughs> you know, I always have, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've always been like, Part of it is like a social anxiety thing that I that I carry around, and that I'm always been more comfortable in front of a group than among them.
0: Yeah, that's weird about comedy because I feel the same way, and you get that all the time after shows. People are like, "Oh, you got to come to this party. You'll you'll be you'll have so much fun." Like, "Oh, I won't." I
1: assure you, I will not.
0: <laughs> yeah. I will hang around with just you because I don't know anyone else and I just Uh, and I'm not afraid to just stand there and I don't pretend to look at my phone I'll just stand there I
1: will observe the party yeah and
0: then um, if someone comes over that always happens in the movies hey there hey soldier hey buck hey buddy looks like you're but that really doesn't happen in real life I've stood through many a party and then okay I'm gonna sneak out I'm not having fun I'm not
1: I miss smoking for that (laughs) because I could always leave
0: I I've worked in restaurants where the people that got to have the smoking breaks I was jealous of that. But yeah, at parties, man, what a nice one to be able to go. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna just slip out. I'm gonna
1: leave this room for ten minutes with no questions asked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, people, I, in some ways, I'm envious of people that are that are party goers that can just have fun and interact with humans. On the other side, I feel like it, I don't know, it just. It seems like a personality style that I don't. I'm not disappointed that I don't have it.
1: No, I. I wish I had this. I wish I had the skill. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I. I regret that I can't really turn it on when I, can, I need it. Like I can, I can turn it on a little bit.
0: Can you go? Like I can go over to someone and recognize something or overhear a conversation and be like, "Hey, I know that," and slide in.
1: No, yeah, I can do go. it. I can do it. It's just a question of is my liver eating itself out as i'm doing it or not you know
0: (laughs) yeah i I can tell
1: because i'll like i'll start to like flop sweat (laughs) if i'm like uh, i don't know if it's like this feeling of self-betrayal but i like have this this like really deep-seated um resistance to small talk Mm -hmm. like it really like upset something in my core where
0: how do you respond to what i do and feel free to use this is if someone goes but it's you know it doesn't rain that much it's kind of like we get like average you know three maybe a month out of the year i'll just say and other such small talk and then yeah. sometimes it'll shake us both, even if i don't know them at all
1: no it's it's not even it's not that specific a thing it's just this like this the sort of disingenuousness of even being in the conversation <laughs> like <laughs> acting like i wanted to be there in the first place yeah is what gets to me and it's you know it's not an attractive quality <laughs> i i it's not something i'm proud of it's you know my wife has a nice blend of being both very magnetic and open to people but also having that dread factor that keeps us together
0: you know <laughs> i will feel it sometimes Because I I don't know if it's an LA thing where sometimes people are looking over your shoulder as like, who else is here? Right. But sometimes they're just looking around for like, I don't don't really want to be having this conversation. So then I'll take that very personally, like, is it just me? Or like, I want to look at them like, we don't have to be doing this. Right. (laughs) We we can just stand here. Or, you know, you could wander off somewhere. And sometimes I'm reading that wrong. People go, what are you you talking about? This is fun. But like their energy or just their general like demeanor feels a lot of times like, I hate this. And I, I go, why did you come here? Yeah, Aren't well, we all supposed to go out in public and pretend and fake that we enjoy it?
1: There is that definite L.A. vibe of I'm scouting my next conversation <laughs> while having this one with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I would. I'd ha- like
1: to upgrade. Is, that, is <laughs> yeah. that feeling?
0: Yeah, I get that quite a bit.
1: I think I, that's what but some I th- of that's our own insecurity totally. talking as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Cause we're delightful.
0: <laughs> we're pleasant <laughs> to chat with coming out with us. <laughs> I feel like it's unfair that talkers always win. Like if you're in a right. place where it's just, it's totally acceptable to just kind of be quiet. And then someone, when they're putting the and you're and not being a jerk, you're not going like, ah, I'm fine. You just sort of shorter answers. Like ah, I'm good.
1: It took me two years of taking meetings here in LA to realize that you have to interrupt, mm-hmm. you know, cause I would go to these meetings and be a Minnesotan and just like, <laughs> let them talk. Yeah. And then my agent or manager would call them and go, yeah, he was nice. He's very quiet. I don't know why he's funny. I don't see him as funny.
0: The first one I, so I started to, to
1: learn, I had to have a little bit of shtick when I went into these meetings. You know?
0: I remember reading this chapter and I think that was it. I was at a bookstore. I flipped open to the Artie Lang book. And he was just so, cap- he was telling the story where he got like a $750,000 development deal because he was just captivating in a general meeting. Right. He just told stories and had them laughing. And I was like, oh, how weird. And I went into, no one- that was all I knew about them. Like I had an agent at the time that didn't prep me. He was like, just make sure, you know, like you don't just sit there. So I was polite. And right. then afterward, the, the review or whatever I got was, he didn't blow me away. And I was like, that's what I was supposed to do? Right. I don't think I have that in me.
1: Well, you were supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: went real off on that. Ugh, terrible. What a weird thing that your career could be dictated by your ability to do something that I guess technically is a skill, but otherwise it is the least sort of...
1: It's the least indicative of performance, kind yeah, of. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Like, that's so weird that you could just... You're, I feel like you're just genetically kind of given that. You can just walk in a room and just, I'm from a Sicilian family, let me just tell you some crazy stories. You're like, yeah, pull up a chair. Right. But anyone else, like, I don't think you can work at that and then suddenly be great at it.
1: No, but I think what happens is, and I found like people respond to me differently as a middle-aged man than they did as a guy at 29 or something. Yeah. Just because I really am not afraid to be in that room anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people operate not out of fear. Yeah, people are attracted to that in yeah. show business, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's you know, it's you know, it's like if they want to know that you're not going to melt down on them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so when you show this leadership in these meetings, they take it as leadership essentially. You know, and 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 their fear of your performance alleviates some. You know.
0: I well, and then I mean your resume. Beyond, I mean Mr. Science Theater and um, America's Funniest Home Videos, Freaks and Geeks. We talked about. I, there's a lot of stuff in there where people would go. If I'm taking a meeting, say I'm a new person and I'm a 27 year old male or female that like I got a communications degree and I worked my way up and now I'm I'm at this executive position and I'm taking meetings. I have to act like I'm so kick ass. Right, like I know the future of this network and or this whatever it is platform but in the inside i'm like holy shit this guy wrote for like some pretty substantial shows if you come in and are an adult of course me as this 27 year old is gonna be like we should definitely hire this guy
1: I haven't had that experience, but uh, I love that pic- picture you're painting very much. Yeah, but.
0: I'm trying to. Maybe that's a Pollyanna view. I don't think I'm trying to be even positive. I, I well, sometimes I feel
1: like it should be that way. I'm like, don't you know who I am? I'm J. Elvis Weinstein. <laughs> but that's not how it is. And,
0: uh, so it goes back to our thing of like deciding your own ego. Yeah, I shouldn't go do your 10 minute spot. I'm so and so, and then uh, yeah, I'll do any spot. I'll do anything. Like I, much more. Um, uh, for me, I gravitate more toward those people that are like, yeah, that's fine. You know, some of them things like people come to the junk show and want to like hang out where no one can see them. I'm like, even if you are a huge deal, right. the people that come to this show are not going to race over like Beatles fans and right. try to take a bunch of selfies with you. Right? But maybe that's part of it. Where like those meetings, it's all fake. It's all just like show business. I don't know. It kind of is. You know, everyone's afraid.
1: You know. Mm-hmm. And that's why you get yeses very quickly and noes very slowly in this business. You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: you walk out of the room like, well, that's a no. We'll hear in two weeks Maybe. at best. Yeah. Once that two-week window closes, you're like, damn it. We may never hear from them again. Right.
1: Uh, I just assume that always. Always. An, I just, I have, yeah, Every anything good that happens is a pleasant surprise to me. It's I, the, never what I assumed was going to happen.
0: The only This is so sad, but the only real yes I got resulted in zero dollars. And the contract was written up for zero dollars. But I was going to have full creative control. And we we're going to make this web series thing, this idea that I've just loved. And I, I drew this comic book that like told the story. So that was a fun one, to go into the meeting, comic books, just kind of pass them around. And the idea in the meeting was like this animation house was maybe going to give us ideas. We weren't even pitching it to them. Just like, what do you think we should do? And then they were reading it and laughing like, ah, let's let's do this. Let's make this. And I was, it took me a second because I hadn't really pitched anything. Like what? Like, let's make it. We'll make a bunch of episodes. Then we'll push them all together to make one big pilot. And we'll take that out to networks. And I was like, that's amazing. That's the only time I felt, and then everything fell apart after that we didn't get up end up getting anything made, yeah, um, but that feeling I didn't realize how rare that is, you know to get like a, even a we're positive about this and let's let's try to make it happen in the moment, right, Whew, what a feeling. I go back to that and wish that I had my how I am aware of things now and could experience that now, right because I would just be like, oh, they didn't say no. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's hard to. Uh, I don't know. At a certain point, it's just like you have so much contempt, kind of going in that it's like I don't care what these people think. <laughs> you have to shed that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I never want to go and bitter or anything. I think because t- you are like asking them to devote hundreds of thousands. No, of-
1: that's you know, and I've never been. Once I've been in the game, I'm never like they have no right to tell <laughs> me what to do. I just yeah. have you know because I've always sort of innately understood that it's like. Yeah, if you want to add money to this equation, then there's stakes that come along with that money.
0: Yeah. And everyone can walk away. It's a certain like c- currency you get to keep that oh, of course they chose that idiots. Everything bad always happens. Everything, you know, they, that's why culture's going down the tubes. They choose things like this, but they didn't take my idea. Right. I have a little bit of that which I I think you kind of need just so you don't you either have that or you go my ideas are all bad. Hmm. Right. Well, it certainly can't be that.
1: Well, and ultimately, all you have is your taste. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I see as my biggest asset is my taste, and that's what I apply to joke writing, to editing, to writing, to all these things. Yeah, is my taste. You know, and that's why I feel like you know I can do these dilettante things is because I have a basic trust in what my what my taste is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've developed it over years, and it's probably different than yours, and probably. You know, not that even that commercial, you know, (laughs) but I, but I feel like that's ultimately what you're bringing to the table with almost any project. Yeah, is you know, is this hacky? Is this good? Is this you know, is this too easy? Is this joke worth doing? You know, yeah, you know, when I've been a head writer, when I've been a showrunner kind of person, it's like that's the difference is it's like you have to filter it all through your taste and you know people will, s- will give you good jokes but if it doesn't fit with your taste you still have to go no let's keep looking you know? yeah
0: that's, I mean I, I remember with the screening because I didn't know you at all we met very briefly maybe right beforehand like Chad was like this is the guy that directed it right. I need you to kill I remember watching it with no preconceived like oh, I'm really rooting for it because it's my friends and or like I don't know what the other side of that would be there's certainly no like negative side that I can imagine but if there were.
1: I well, just I mean, I could look. have brought a douchey POV to stand up, you
0: know. Oh, right. Like, if I saw you before the screening and you had your shirt unbuttoned to your belly button right. and we're smoking a cigarette with a stem on it, I'd be like, I hope this sucks. Maybe that would happen. Right. But I wasn't that. I was just
1: thinking. I hope he shits his John pores.
0: <laughs> I, but I really liked it. And I thought, like, it was it was a cool documentary. And, you. you. know, like, sometimes documentaries are just like, I don't The train came into play, and then you are like, "Oh, we're gonna learn about trains." But it just moves along like a movie, and the music's really cool, and like the edits and cuts and stuff. I those are things that are hard for me to swallow when that doesn't become like a very talked about thing and or end up on a bigger platform. You know, it's on Netflix, or I mean, uh, Amazon, which is great, but I just felt like that was gonna be one of those ones that I would see a billboard for or something like that.
1: Yeah, and you know, I guess I never thought that really, just because I had already into my own mm-hmm. sense of <laughs> sort of dark realism. <laughs> um, I thought it would do better than it did, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it would excite more people than it did. Yeah, But then, you know, Comedy Dynamics put nothing behind promoting it and, you know, like literally nothing. <laughs> you know, so. They're not
0: my favorite. I don't know why more people aren't talking about them in the way that they interact with the creative community or whatnot. They don't seem to be great.
1: Uh, I have not had a great experience with them, you know, because of that they didn't promote the movie at all, and then you know the money that they uh, came up with to show what they did in that first year of, uh, was not substantial at all. Yeah,
0: know? yeah, and they, uh, I could go on, and I don't want their to business
1: go. model is not an artist friendly thing. It's a it's a volume business model, which is let's let's get a giant mm-hmm. catalog of content that we can make very little money off of each individual piece and make a great deal of money off of the collective. You know?
0: I think Spotify had to come around where they're finally paying at least a reasonable amount per play on stuff. But for years, I just felt like I was trapped in that sort of prison of creative stuff has no real value or worth because everyone's sharing it. So right. did a podcast for a long time that was pretty popular, made no money, and then... Have albums out online that people I'd run into. Hey, I played your whole album the other day on this channel or this station. Not really getting substantial checks from that, and or like having to hunt people down. Like, hey, you run this station. I think you owe me money. Oh, sorry. They'd send me some money. Comedy <sighs> Dynamics, sort of the same thing. The conversation with them was very like, you, you, just so you know, if you sign this over to us, we we take the reins because we want to do one thing: make money that's our whole thing is making money and I was like well I'm I'm not good at making money I didn't make this thing just to make money off of it but I right. would like more people to see it and they go well then you chose the right place because that's what we do and so when they do like not come up with a ton of money you're like well what are you good at you see, you told me that's <laughs> right. your thing
1: yeah so no I had some I had some disappointing interactions with them but uh, yeah but you know thanks for liking the movie you I know? did I hope and more I, people see it hope, and you know it's out there so that's kind of all I. I'm, you know, I'm happy to point people to it when I talk about it, and then, yeah, happy that there's evidence I made a thing. But I can't worry about how many people see it. And, you know, I had my, you know, my few months of plugging the shit out of it and making it, you know, yeah, being as entrepreneurial as I could about it. But that then at a certain point, it's like I don't want to be the guy flogging the last thing. I want to be the guy making the next thing
0: maybe wouldn't that be a fun afterlife moment if it's similar to that room in my aunt's house where you walk in and you know like when you when you're moving out when you're maybe say you're 18 or you go back later whenever you're in a room where you're like rifling through boxes and just all the stupid crap you drew as a toddler and all those school projects you made if you get a chance to like go through them like we gotta throw a lot of this stuff out and it just looks like an abundance of your oh this macaroni thing i did oh this little clay thing i did and all right. this and this and this and The end, like, of your whole life, walking into a room and looking around and just seeing all this stuff. I think...
1: But I don't think most people look at their lives that way. I mean, I don't think that's how people measure their success. I don't either. I think we're a particular breed of people who, for whom that's the the measure, you
0: know? Yeah. What are the other people... Say you're a guy that has, um, you're the patriarch of a family, you've got like three kids in a lake house in Minnesota... You at the end of it, like you walk in that room and you just see money or you see your kids happy. Everyone's going to see, see something in their You see your thriving.
1: Room. You see your grandkids eventually. You see, you know, you see that you've provided for your family. Mm-hmm. You, see, you know, I just don't think that everyone has a creative need within them. You yeah. know, they might have a very minor one itch that needs to be scratched, but that could be at a karaoke night. You know, yeah. that could be, that's true. You know, that could be a funny note to their friends. That could be a song parody at a, at a, uh, company gathering you know (laughs) yeah but you know i think ultimately that's what makes an artist is this deep need to create Mm -hmm. you know and i think you know it's a it's a smaller subset of humanity you
0: yeah and i i don't know why there's an inability to i remember my grandpa went to i don't know i don't understand why anyone would wear flip-flops he's saying this like an 85 year old person i was like you can't understand it to me i was so disappointed like you would think if you get us to a certain age in life, you could kind of understand every impulse. You right. could kind of understand <laughs> right. like we're very or different. Not give a shit. <laughs> yeah, just not care. Like, oh people are doing that now? Okay. I've given up long ago trying to understand, but clearly we are all driven by insanely different impulses. The guy that has his boat on the lake that just when the kids are all away and maybe his wife is at a, a meeting or something and he just takes the boat out and he's standing there behind the steering wheel, just driving around a lake. Might be getting the same amount of joy as you and I with like a sold out show and or whatever else would like or having us just put the finishing touches on something we made.
1: I think so. I think he probably does. I think it's all that. This is the life feel, you know, And (laughs) for him. It's that. Yeah.
0: Oh, I can. I mean, if I'm that guy on the boat, I go, why? I mean, why wouldn't everyone want this? I got the sun out wind in my face. I own this boat. I'm not worried about financial stuff. Right. I'm not wasting my time. Clicking back and forth on editing something. I'm, I, everything I've done has led to just enjoying this moment. And I go, can't really fault that, but I'm just wired up differently than that. Right.
1: There. No, and I find, I, and I do kind of find those moments for myself along the way. You know, there are times where, like, you know, getting that movie role, this was like so life affirming to me mm-hmm. just because it happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I'm living a life where this can happen. Mm hmm and that's perfect yeah that's exactly what i was going for (laughs) and so you know it it takes something weird like that sometimes to make you go oh all right i guess i must be doing something right because this made me happy i'm still still capable (laughs) of being happy you know and being surprised after 32 years and and trying something completely new after that much time you know and like That's all I want, really. You know, is to just stay interested for the what, however long this ride lasts. You know.
0: Yeah, hell yeah.
1: I mean, and and it. I mean, I want to stay housed and clothed and fed too. You know, mm -hmm. and I like, I like having money, but that's not the true. That's not the true payoff for me.
0: That's good to hear, because you'd think some people would forget that whatever, whatever it is that they're like succeeding at or getting that they've lost track of this isn't even what I wanted to do, or this doesn't make me happy, or I don't want to do this anymore or that kind of thing. Like uh, having that openness to kind of look around and be like, this has been fun so far. Do I want to do this for 40 more years? Yeah, I could see that. Or maybe I'm really drawn to this now. right? And then sometimes it's a huge, big like foot in the ground, change directions for some people.
1: And I've done a lot of them, but you know, and yeah, you know, you have to be lucky too. Like I found a wife who was, Willing to, you know, encourage my turns towards happiness away from money at times. You know,
0: <laughs> did you have any like really substantial like? Well, they offered me this, and I said no because I want to grow. A-
1: I've had a couple of those, and I've had a, not like you know not ridiculous things. Not it's like
0: been, a shape thing where you're leaving forty. Yeah, no.
1: For but I've I've left. I've quit jobs that I could have stayed at mm-hmm. that were highly lucrative. Mm-hmm. Because I was done.
0: And just like, this is eating away my soul. See you later. Yeah.
1: It's, you know, and I have done that a few times.
0: Yeah i think everyone should other i don't know not that they should do that maybe you just muscle it out you know it's not a weird american thing like my dad went down to the plant every day and he hated it but he put food on the table and damn it that's america you, right. like, he probably had some dreams too like he might have had a life he never got to live
1: well like my dad was a lawyer my dad died when he was like 53 years old or 52 and uh He was a lawyer and he liked being a lawyer, but he only liked, much like with showbiz with me, he only liked a specific sort of path. Mm -hmm. And and there were times where, like, at a certain point he had to stop doing family law because he couldn't stand the way that people acted during divorces, you know. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so he would, you know, and at a certain point the firm that he was a partner at just became too big for him to enjoy working there. So he quit that firm and went to a smaller firm with people he liked and so I think, I, you know, part of it might be a learned yeah. thing from my dad who was intellectually ambitious, but not fiscally ambitious, you mm-hmm. know, and sort of fancied himself this kind of country lawyer, you know, <laughs> even, you know, he was doing some big intellectual property suits and things like that, but he still loved the, you know, like when I was a kid, he would literally barter you know like he would come home with a color tv set because he'd bartered with this guy who ran an appliance store he'd, yeah. or we'd go to a cheese shop once a week cuz he had a he was doing work for them <laughs> you know and we had an account at this cheese shop because he was bartering work for them and i know he did it with our dentist too you know and it's mm-hmm. like and he liked that a lot he liked that sort of small town I'll do your will for a chicken kind of thing, <laughs> and I met all these people when he died who came up and said, "Yeah, he did this for free for us, and he helped us adopt our kid." You know, so he liked he liked the practice of law, but he didn't like when it got too corporate or when it got too when the humanity drained out of it completely. Yeah, you know?
0: everyone's looking for because you get into comedy, and then people, go, what are you up to? And it's, in the beginning, I'm going here, I'm going here, and I'm doing this. And then after a certain point, like what are you up to? Same thing, working the road, hitting shit. You know, like, it becomes monotonous and routine. Right. You're like, oh, that's what I didn't want. So I like the idea that someone that drives to work a different way from time to time or just, right. just trying to routine, change it
1: up. Routine kills me, and that's always been the thing. I mean, I used to have so many sick days from school when I was a kid just because – I just couldn't do it again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just because I can't do this again. This
0: again, it was exactly the same two days in a row. And
1: I felt when I first started doing TV writing, I felt like I had sort of tricked myself. I was like, hey, this is an office job. Wait a second. This (laughs) isn't show business? What the hell? (laughs) You burned yourself. Yeah,
0: when that little, a few times I've been like in writing situations where, you know, for a few weeks at a time and going in and being like, oh, this is just like, if it's good, the most fun example of a cubicle job. Right. A lot of times you got to get a laminated badge type thing. You've got to like check in with a guy at a gate, go in and park in a certain spot and walk over and all the stuff. Except right. when you get there, you're like, "All right, what if?" And then that's to me that was so fun. I get grown right. humans going, "Wow, what?" And we need this to happen so what if their feet turn into balloons like okay yeah, that could happen like, right. that's a human grown person job of just being imaginative that seemed like a, a loophole or something in life
1: yeah yeah I don't know if I was ever that enthusiastic but <laughs>
0: <laughs> do there's something, something about that part that I like that I wouldn't want to I don't know to take it for granted, or, or you know, like to try to do it, like try to try to keep it interesting, or something new all the time.
1: Let's say, how do you mean?
0: Just like, you know, going into write and then like, okay, like we know, you know, sitcoms, the longer they're on, the more like, well, so-and-so has to do this and -and so-and-so's got to do this. And then you just get burned out like, all right, here are one of five things they can do. The the imagination kind of shuts down. So you're, you're kind of the same as a person who gets up and tries to beat traffic. And maybe this month they're going to hit the gym, but they say that every year. And right. pretty soon they've been working that place 25 years. I remember when we are in the old location. That's like the only conversation they have because it just w- became so routine and so boring that all the fun just kind of drained out. Right. And it, when that happens in like, and I would imagine maybe that's why you left some of those places when you had.
1: Yeah, I just became unhappy. Mm-hmm. It was just purely that. Just like I, I'm not getting any more nourishment from doing this other than money. Mm-hmm. And that money isn't enough to make me happy. You
0: know, so <laughs> huh. That's got to be weird for people to hear that, like, but that'd be my greatest dream, you know?
1: Well, and I feel like a dick kind of saying it, too, honestly, because it is a brazen sort of position to come from, you mm-hmm. know? I can like, understand. I'll that find way. the next thing. Wah! You know? Yeah. But, but
0: people are more inspired by going after what you like as opposed to just, like you said, like just the money. You know, if they hear, like, oh, you got a once in a lifetime chance, you got to just stay until you die. Like, who would give that advice? That's so weird.
1: Right. Yeah. But I've, like, you know, I've been, I'm old enough now. So I've been able to AB some of these things. You know, I, I know what it's like to be like making a shit ton of money
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not happy. You know, and I know <laughs> what it's like to be making no money and super excited by what I'm doing. Yeah. I prefer the latter, you know, but because I made that. You know, it's because I made that money that the latter was possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I don't like what I'm, what I've been doing the last several years is, you know, goes hand in hand with being a showbiz professional. You know, I can't, I can't say that I've been an independent success because I. Uh, that's not true. You know, I've just laundered the money, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know so.
0: I remember really being in comedy where like I was doing it a lot and like mid to late twenties and there would be someone, you know, getting involved that had been in the corporate world and decided to like hit open mic at 35 and they owned a house and they had like a 401k and all that. And I'd be like, my initial thought back then was like, you missed it, man. You already missed it. Now I like, it's never too late. Go give it a try. But I think what they're, what you can't get back is like that feeling of not knowing of just when you are 15 and try to open mic, or when you're 20 right. and move into L.A., of like, this is the life I've gone into right out of the gate. So I didn't even get a chance really to survey and see, like, oh, maybe I'd like this. I didn't get a chance to be soured by something. Right. I just went straight into it. That, to me, just seems like what everyone that doesn't do that will kind of miss. Not to say you can't still get it. That guy might be a millionaire by now, touring and maybe does colleges or corporate right. events. No idea. But... The missing that feeling of just like there's, how would this ever work out? I don't know anyone. I don't know any of the things. I'm new at it, and then you just immerse into it, and it starts to kind of happen.
1: Yeah, the fearlessness of it, and the uh, and part of the fearlessness is because you literally have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that makes you go, sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: try that. Yeah, yeah. There is a weird. I I think that if a kid were trying it, I remember people being like, "Oh, that's so." Whew, man, that's that's like a big leap. But when you're young, you don't really know what's no, scary. No, have no now. idea, exactly. So now I'd be like, oh, God. You know, you think of like Indian culture where they like, want their children to be an engineer or like be a doctor because that fear of... If you venture out and try to be a singer or something, life can really get complicated and difficult so quickly.
1: Oh, my mom was terrified by the whole thing, for sure. I mean, when I dropped out of college to mock a movie with a gumball machine, come (laughs) on. She 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 thought that was horrible, you know. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to L.A. to be a writer when I was 20 and didn't have a college degree, she was like, didn't get it, you know. How could a you know? Because how could you be a writer without a college degree? Yeah, I mean, I knew better because I had seen my friends who had gone to LA and become writers. You know, they had they had laid that path out to me.
0: Yeah,
1: so I just had to sort of you know, and I never presented it to my mom as a as a fuck you, but it was like there was a great deal of confidence behind my position of like, no, I'm doing this. Sorry. You know, and to my parents credit, I never felt like I was going to lose their love or lose their approval as a person, you know? Yeah. I, you know, they loved me enough. So I felt like I could disappoint them in the short term (laughs) to play the long game, you know, but you know, but I don't know where that, you know, I think it's that security that gave me that bravery. Yeah. You know,
0: and back then, like, she couldn't really look on YouTube or read an article about, like, what was substantial at that point. You know, you guys had already, you had, like, a show off the ground from right. Minnesota. Like, it, it, what was it before it was Comedy Central? Like,
1: It was Comedy Channel. Comedy but we had done it on a, on a local cable, on a UHF station in so, Minneapolis first.
0: So even just that, like, her seeing these little shadows and knowing her son wrote... A lot of the words that they're saying that are funny, yeah. and then it gets picked up by a different channel. Nowadays, I think a parent could almost look at it as if they were looking through a child's like college transcripts and go, okay, all this checks out. Yeah, head off to L.A. Right. Back then, it's kind of the big unknown, which I think is so funny. That Now, imagine someone saying, I have a pilot deal or they're talking about doing a movie of our project. On one hand, it is the BMW 325 on the car lot where they're like, you made it, kid. On the other, it's like, it's something. Like, that's pretty good.
1: No, and I think, you know, I think my dad took more of that position of just like, like when I was 16, I I went out and did a week of one-nighters in the Dakotas Mm -hmm. during spring break from high school Mm -hmm. as an MC.
0: (laughs) Who does that?
1: And, uh, you know, my mom wanted nothing to do. You know, she did not want me to do that. But my dad was like, well, this kid had the wherewithal to book these gigs at bars in North and yeah, South Dakota. <laughs> we gotta let him go do it. And so somehow that prevailed.
0: One day, so I was on the rodeo team in high school and I had to the take... rodeo the, team. Yeah, that isn't that is crazy? not something we
1: had in St. Louis Park, Minnesota.
0: <laughs> most, most schools didn't have it. When I told people, they're like, what?
1: What was your event?
0: I was a roper. So I, so he, okay. I was a healer. And then uh, I had to take like the ACTs or something like that one day. And... I think normally my parents would have driven me or gone with me in a like truck and trailer style to the rodeo. But they were like, my mom was like, you can take the truck just, you know, when you get home, switch vehicles and go. So I had to like haul ass out there. And then I ran out of gas. I was 16 and I ran out of gas on the way out to the thing. With a horse. With a horse in the back on a hot like Nevada. Did
1: you ride the horse to get gas?
0: In hindsight, maybe I should have. (laughs) I just hitchhiked. <laughs> I went into a business that was it was I coasted to a stop in front of rural Nevada, nothing happening. And there was just like this like agriculture building or I think they dealt with like insurance for farms. Something like that. Okay. And I walked in there and I was like, Hey, can I use your phone? I ran out of and the lady looking at a sixteen year old kid was like, No, I'm sorry. This isn't a this isn't a public building or something like that. And I was wow. like, well, I'm just I'm out of gas right out here. I'm sorry, we can't help you. I'm like, can I use the phone to call? no. <laughs> so, wow. I, so he should kick me out. I'm like, all right. So I hitchhiked and then the sweetest old man showed up and he was like, this is great, hop in. And he drove like a Pixar little pickup truck that rattled and yeah. shook and it had a camper shell full of junk in the back. And I rode with him and he was like, this is my good deed for the day. This is my every day you got to do a good deed. This is my good deed, and just. Those little, to me, that's what getting into comedy and all those things are. It's like, I don't know that you have that if you get into a routine, like, well, he's stuck in his class and he's going to graduate here and got an internship and he's probably going to get offered a real, like, cool. But I don't think you get those weird experiences like driving to middle.
1: No, you get a lot of fewer stories, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, just that being a 17 year old (laughs) using spring break to go make money as a comedian is incredible.
1: looking back it was weird you know
0: yeah at the time you were just like well it's
1: it was the only time i ever lied about my age on a gig too because i was 16 and uh, the guy who was featuring i think told the booker the booker was like i hear he's a kid and the guy and my friend said no he's like 18 (laughs) so i stuck with that (laughs) but that was the only time i ever lied about my age
0: uh, they were used, every now and again, I would be doing a show when I first started, it, and someone would just, like, their parents would be there, and they'd have to wait outside the gig until they went up on stage, did their bit, and then, or did their set, and then, like, came off.
1: Yeah, I never had to do that for some reason.
0: That's nice. Cause I felt like it was so, so for unf- They clearly love comedy. Right. Let them hang out and watch well, it. Well,
1: I looked, I looked 23, 24, cause I was big, you know, mm-hmm. it's like 300 pound, six foot blobby guy, you know, so. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't talk about being a kid on stage at all. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just was pretending I was twenty something kind of. What'd
0: and, you talk about?
1: Well, you know, a lot of TV commercials, and <laughs> you know, and vaguely political things, and being on the road jokes, and hey, I was in Montana, and hey, and then four Montana wow. jokes. And,
0: I wanted to start when I was that age, and I just remember being like, I have nothing to talk about.
1: I had just, a big bit about ice fishing i had you know very <laughs> midwestern sort of things so. yeah
0: man it's cool like you come out here with these ambitions to like you said like secondarily be a star or uh, first like make money no
1: one liked my ice fishing bit here in la that much and that was like <laughs> one of my best bits
0: <laughs> oh i love that when people come out here like my menards joke isn't doing so good like, yeah yeah man it's a bigger world than you're oh, aware yeah. of I always feel like that's some level of poetic justice because I would go, I don't know any of the references, i go into these towns, and usually as a middle, so the opener would just kill with a lot of like local references, right. and then I'd get off stage after, like, especially after the first night, like, I gotta figure some things out, and then they would look at me like, you'll get it, you'll get it, right. <laughs> like, you, ah, you got a home court advantage here, but I feel like where it's gone from that little 17-year-old kid looking to now, I think he'd be pretty psyched, right?
1: Uh, there's been enough highlights to go. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool.
0: <laughs> you think he only would have been fully satisfied if you were like on every billboard and starring in every movie?
1: No, I, th- I think I think just I think I fulfilled most of the check marks. I think I think I'm probably not as famous as mm-hmm. that 17 year old would want me to be. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the stuff I've been able to do and you know that I've gotten to do, you know, I think I think there's enough there to impress him.
0: I hope so. I think you've done a ton of stuff, man. I'm excited to see what you do next. Well, I thank you. What, do you. what do you have in, like, two things. Stack of stuff that you are working on, and number two, pie in the sky, magic wand over your head, and you could do anything to the fullest level, but it's only one thing. Yeah. What would that be?
1: I would probably choose movie directing just because it scratches the most stitches mm-hmm. that I have but i don't know you know like right this this year this moment right now is a perfect example of my career because i'm finishing up this music doc that i directed i'm finishing up a stand-up album and i'm just co-starting a movie like all those three (laughs) things are going to come out sometime this year so
0: And you guys write original songs, you and your wife and your band. It's yeah. Not like you guys are just goofing around playing covers. Like that could potentially become an E P or something.
1: So. Yeah, but that that like to me that's that's pleasure, you know, to to put that into the career realm of things. Sure. Just takes all the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and and in a way it's like i'm almost as happy just playing in our music room at our house as i am playing a gig at this point mm-hmm. like the amount of extra pleasure yeah. versus hauling shit <laughs> almost cancels each other out oh. but allison likes playing out more
0: oh good you know? yeah it was fun watching you guys
1: we have a, we you know it's been a it's been you know we've had a varying size band over the over the course of 25 years mm-hmm. Um, including Paul Feig as our drummer and uh, and Dave Gruber Allen was was been there for most of it and um so it's always been fun, but it's always been like a, just a fun part of our life together that we can do that and That's, not, I not mean, get mad at each other. And <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was talking with someone recently and he was like lamenting certain things of you know, um projects that he wasn't getting greenlit and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, you know, I get up at five and I exercise and then I, I do write. I write for like four hours. And I was like, most people spend a lot of their time just trying to get that hammered out, like just their habits being better or their right. scheduling or their time management or people that want to write and they don't make time to do it or get in shape. And you're doing both of those. And he was like, Oh, yeah, I guess when you think about it that way. And I think the same thing, like when people think of like an idyllic, Especially people that are single and going like, you know, be a perfect partnership is that we had enough free time to just be around each other a lot. That'd be great. And two, what if we both like played instruments and played them together? Right. So that's a really like an unbelievable thing. That's really cool.
1: Well, we've had, you know, we've both, we've both had a big journey. I mean, when I met my wife, she had a record deal and a GED.
0: <laughs> now, and she's now, a now she's a
1: college professor. So,
0: <laughs> Man life right
1: life is good i like <laughs> it for the most part but uh, but i don't know you know it's like the one thing i learned from this movie this doc i made this michael day bar who do you want me to be it's called about this guy who's had this 50 year plus career that you know he's been Gone from being you know, like one of the kids and just serve with love with Sidney Poitier to to being a glam rock pioneer to being on Zeppelin's label to playing at Live Aid, replacing Robert Palmer on the Power Station. And then all along with that music career, he also was like guest starring on WKRP and the Rockford Files and Heart to Heart and you know, Weird. all these things. And he's still, you know, he's got a daily show on Sirius and he's he's recur- he was Murdoch on MacGyver, he was MacGyver's main nemesis, oh, and now yeah. he's back recurring on that show and so so i learned a lot from from that project just because you see that fucking life and careers are long you know and michael debar is one of these people who's just stayed ready and open and you know for whatever that next thing is and he's had ebbs and flows and ups and downs and you just go well yeah that's how it goes you know you just got to stay ready
0: yeah i love that I think the bubble thing, again, like certain bubbles we're all looking at or even being told, like, keep your eye on this bubble. It's a big bubble. It's the best bubble. It's the Beatles bubble. Right. Like someone like Jenny Lewis, I think she was like a child actor. Yeah. And, then, you know, now she's – her album, her latest one especially, I think is so good. And, like, all of her stuff that she's done I think is phenomenal. But she could transition. She could go back to acting. She could become the next, like – um um, Lou Harris or something like right. that, you know, where she just ages into this sort of Oracle type being or she, get, it, and I guess it's a bubble and my eye is peripherally aware of, but I don't spend a lot of time doing that. But I like when you hear those stories that like,
1: well, the thing you can do now that you couldn't do 20 years ago is create your own bubble. You mm-hmm. know, you can, you can nurture through the internet, you know, all of these you can find like like-minded souls, you know? Yeah. You know, and th- there are people who, you know, I'm sure over the, the five years of doing your, sh- you're just the live show. There's like people who are now in the David's fear because they like the vibe you put into the world. You know,
0: I always liken it to like a light a candle or something. It's, it's a light, but it, it can sort of burn out from time to time it, or it heats back up and, you know, the flies that kind of come around or maybe it's honey. I don't know what it Something that like you replenish.
1: <laughs> Something in. that attracts flies <laughs> <Something> <laughs> or I'm important and everyone else's flies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're responsible for like creating the thing that potentially could, you know, whether it's a fire that's bringing in people to huddle around it. And you know, you're, if you're just focused on doing the thing, you don't know which flies for lack of a <laughs> these <laughs> disgusting things that
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got to keep the candle lit, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I mean that's why I do a podcast with Kindler, you know that's it's just that if I know that I'm always making something and I'm always putting something out into the world, then I feel like i'm I'm sort of I'm matching my basic minimum requirements <laughs> for myself,
0: yeah, I think that's how it feels like just. To I think when people disappear and like, I'll come back bigger than ever, like, well, that flame went totally out. You know? Right. Like, but if you had a huge hit in the 80s, for whatever reason, like people still... They remember that little flame flickering. And then, this band's coming back for their first tour in 35 years. They'll sell some tickets. Yeah. People are like, I remember that song. So the flame never fully goes out. But it is like, especially with the junk show, there have been cycles of when, like, oh, we could always count on those five faces being there. And right. then they sort of trickled out. And then five new ones came. And then right. this group of eight was always there. And then they, felt, they filtered away. And sometimes any amalgam of any of those people shows up. And it's like, oh okay they're still aware of it but they're not as ingrained in the the fabric of it as they used to be
1: right but they're part of that
0: yeah the Hansberger
1: of universe
0: <laughs> sure yeah they're in there They if they showed up I'd recognize them and say hello I, don't, I wish we're, we're so close to being like globally like acting as a consciousness that our ability almost every day I feel compelled to just be like we're all still here together like we're experiencing this not just you and your friends and family but like Everyone that's in your s- just awareness, in like the, the, what would you call it? Like Ellen, someone I've never met. I don't know her. We're yeah. alive at the exact same time. right? All of these people like that, we're just surfing through this thing together. We don't think about that as much. Like, well, we're all here today. Everyone that's here right now could potentially be here 40 years from now. Right. Highly unlikely. We're going to lose a lot of people along the way. If we're even lucky enough to be the ones of that 40. Mm. But such a weird thing that we're just kind of quietly in this little room by ourselves, like, I'm just focused on me. I'm here. Well,
1: but in our case, we're making a podcast so people can <laughs> share the experience of being in this room with us together.
0: That's true. If ever, Yeah, we're all alive, right? At, and I mean, suddenly, we're
1: creating an artificial collective experience or trying to by doing this.
0: That's true. Yeah. Well, I think I'm rambling on too much. <laughs> Not even following my own thoughts as well. It's I can't. That's when I can't articulate.
1: This conversation well. really seems like we should have been stoned for. <laughs> it really seems like. That. I get I mean, that
0: a lot. I feel like I never fully matured beyond like because I didn't smoke pot in like college or anything. So really? being like a sophomore or a freshman in college like in the dorms, go. What if, man? What if? <laughs> I didn't. I still do that. I, was, I didn't get it all didn't out. Want of my to fuck system,
1: up your rodeo career? What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, it died. <laughs> it died shortly. My horse cut his foot. I didn't get to rope my senior year, and then I was trying to get this new horse going, but it just never really. Man, who manu-
1: supplies the horses for the school rodeo team?
0: I I had horses growing up, which is great. My parents had horses in like college, and then I feel like once you're in the horse world, you just now when I look at it, like I could I can afford a horse and to keep it fed and like, yeah. but if you saw where I grew up, it like it's almost like people having cats. It right. just. People would throw up a little fence, make all right.
1: Cost a doing business. The
0: cost of just you find a way to get some hay and like you would work a little extra or whatever. I mean we really had to like hustle to keep them well fed. And in the rodeo world it the Disparity in like wealth distribution right. was highly noticeable, I and mean, we'd show up and like, well, that qualifies as a horse trailer. <laughs> and and then later on, we did get one that was kind of nice. But I mean, some people it was would show just up as a camper. <laughs> it was <laughs> like horse. camper with the roof cut off, horses head sticking out. There were people that would show up and stuff like that. Where you're like, man, it's uh, the whole spectrum is there, yeah. and people showing up with like semis and stuff that looks like they would haul like you know, world champion racehorses and stuff right. like that. So,
1: but yeah. When I, I did this I, this horse racing movie, I saw a very wide disparity because like we shot in Louisiana. So we, and we were on several different stables and farms and you could see like, this is a massive racing operation. This is a podunk mom and pop.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, everyone just gets in, in the mix somehow. My My part of the... The city or, or you know rural area or outskirts or whatever, it, was, it wasn't like everyone had horses, but it, you'd been, you would never see like, what a, that's a horse ranch. You would never see that. It yeah. was just a lot of backyard kind of like corrals. And this was, stuff.
1: this was Nevada? Yeah. What part of Nevada? Just
0: north of Reno. Oh,
1: okay. Wow.
0: Okay. So out there in the desert, a lot of time like by myself out there riding along through the sagebrush and, and then practicing roping and stuff like that. And you'd have to like go pay and haul the horse somewhere and- it was pretty great. you pay someone like 15 bucks, like, all right, rope all you want.
1: Okay. And then as a
0: kid, they'd cut me a little slack. So, like, let me go a little extra and stuff like that. It was fun. Really great. But now I think about, like, good Lord, how do we ever afford that? It just seemed uh, like yeah. impossible. But it's a different time, man. That's right.
1: First, I <laughs> could have a horse back then.
0: <laughs> um, what's the name of your album? Have you titled it yet? I haven't yet.
1: No. Hmm. I'm thinking perhaps Resting Justice Face? Okay. but Which is a reference to a bit. Nice. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. you
0: talk about the kidney stuff in there as well? I do, yeah. Yeah. Well, go listen to the album, because the story of, and that, again, how we relate it over medical stuff, with, <laughs> like, the things that happen in your life, just crazy. You had
1: an abscess, too? Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, intense. I'm
1: glad you're healthy. Likewise.
0: Thank you. Yeah, good to, good to chat and catch up, and hopefully you'll come back and, and do it again.
1: Any damn time.
0: Cool. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Anything you want to plug?
1: Um, I Need You to Kill on uh, Amazon Prime.
0: Yeah, very um, good.
1: I highly vouch for it. My podcast, Thought Spiral with Andy Kindler. Weekly, Monday night. Two Monday, of the funniest dudes. Come on. Two of the very funniest people. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's enough. Okay.
0: Thanks. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Sometimes I feel a little vulnerable having those types of conversations, particularly when discussing things that didn't work out. It can sometimes sound like sour grapes or something like that, so I try to avoid that. But every now and again, I suppose it's um, worthwhile. You get a a really genuine look at um, at what the entertainment world, the art world, whatever you want to call it, can be like. If it's something that you have always been intrigued by or considering dipping a toe in, hopefully this was... Uh, insightful in some way. And if it's just something you like being familiar with from afar, uh, hope, I hope that was you know good on that end as well. Maybe you don't care for it at all. And you're sick of people who make stuff talking about it. Well, you didn't have to listen. I assume that's not the case. I don't know why I even threw that third one out there. I guess just always trying to find some way to be the devil's advocate or uh, I can't imagine people are listening in spite That'd be such a weird thing to do, but I appreciate that you do listen to this show, hopefully out of enjoyment and adding it to your life wherever you are, heading to work. Maybe you're enjoying a nice hike. Maybe you're just sitting in your home. I hope uh, this show brings you some level of uh, satisfaction or pleasantness or tranquility, serenity, something like that, joy, any of those things. That's ideal. And, uh, if you want to support the show or just communicate with the show or be a part of it, a lot of different ways you can do that. You can donate at the, spa- the You can send an email pings at the If you have suggestions for beer or topics or guests or music or anything like that, if you're a musician and you want to send something along, do it, get it out there in the world. You just listen to this chat. Maybe it inspired you to do that. And you can always support the show on Patreon as well. Tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you think might help. But it's our little thing. If you tell nobody, that's fine too. It's just our little thing. I put it out there in the world. You listen to it. And then we all go on about our lives. Um, but if you want to invite someone into our little club, maybe send them a link or something like that. And again, thank you to those of you who do support the show through Patreon. It's a monthly uh, subscription thing, which I know there are a lot of those these days. But for like a dollar or two a month you can really help out the show. It's like 50 cents a week at a, at a bare minimum and you get access to additional episodes and behind the scene things, scenes things and um an occasional gift every now and again right around uh, the anniversary period of of the show's inception. Sometimes around the holidays as well. Okay. Speaking of music that um people get out there into the world, I feel like we've established a nice little I was gonna say homeostasis does that sound right I, I'm blanking on what exactly that word means at the moment but um, synergy is probably a better terminology term for uh, someone who listens to the show also contributes to the show and I feel like what they create helps the show it fits in in the mold of it like to get uh, shine try to shine some sort of light on people that are they're out there and maybe they're not doing uh, shows through Live Nation in giant venues and whatnot. But they're making cool stuff, and uh, hopefully get some more ears to listen to it. And uh, we are just talking about Krestovsky a couple episodes ago with Brian Gutman, and he sent a new song along, and I like it. I think you will, too. Thanks to Dan for putting this show together, as always, from the goodness of his heart down there in Australia. If we get enough Patron, Patreon people, patrons, we can finally start... Contributing a little bit of funding to Dan for all the hard work that he does. Um, and if not, I think he's happy to continue doing it. I certainly feel lucky that he is. It's just he and I. There's no producer. I record it, do all the stuff, send it, send the file to him. He compiles it. And that's what you have just listened to. And then the cherry on top is music from a friend of the show, Krestovsky. Check him out online. There's links through the episode bio and things like that, or episode description Uh, This song's called Raynell. He describes it as lo-fi and 90s as hell. And I love that. I hope you do too. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.